Hi, this is Steve. And this is Lisa. And this is our podcast called? I Married a History Teacher. And when I say hip, you say hop. Hip. Hop. Hip. Hop. Guess what our episode's about tonight, Lisa? Well, you've been talking about it nonstop, so hip-hop show. Yes, we're talking about hip-hop history tonight. We're going to tell the story, the history of hip-hop. The interesting thing about the history of hip-hop is that it's so new. We're talking about, like, late 70s, early 80s. Like, very, very new. Late 70s. That's later than I would have, later back in history than I would have thought. Yeah, well, I'm also kind of referring to, like, the genres of music that inspired hip-hop, not necessarily hip-hop itself. Okay, okay. Um, but, yeah, to a certain extent, yeah, it was the 70s. Yeah. Um, but I'm very excited. It's going to be very hard for me not to, like, totally geek out while talking about this shit. Like, I love... You know, when I was a kid, I loved hip-hop. It's, like, all I listened to. It was. Yeah, I think you should geek out. I think people enjoy um, people displaying their passions. Okay. Okay, all right, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah, I'm just going to get into it, all right? So, Lisa, I'm going to, again, I like to establish ethos in a podcast, right? My ethos for talking about the history of hip-hop, despite being this white boy from um, northern Virginia, from the suburbs, I have two things that I'm going to point out here, okay? Mm Mm-hmm. There's this Simpsons quote that I love on one of their episodes. I think it was featuring like Run DMC or something, and they got into an argument about rap. And Bart said something along the lines of, it's time to go talk to the guy who knows more about rap than anyone. A white nerd. (laughs) And that's exactly what's going to be happening here. I just have like nerded out over hip hop for a large part of my life. Mm. And now it's like I have an outlet to do it. Here you go. Yeah. The, like, the other thing, okay, that I did was I actually literally took a class called the History of Hip Hop. It was like Music 389 or something at Miami of Ohio. Right, that's part of your American Studies degree. It was. <laughs> Damn right it was. I believe uh, Mandy, Mandy Quinn was in there with me. Really? Yeah. That yeah, we used to just, like, hang out and listen to hip hop music and listen to best professor at Miami. This chick named Tammy Carnoodle. She, of course, was from Virginia. Danville, Virginia. She's cool as hell. Everybody loved her. If you took a music class, you'd always try to get into her class. She taught history of hip-hop. She loved it. She would geek out over it. So now I'm going to geek out over it. Your noodle. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, for sure. So those, th- this is how I'm allowed to talk about this. I've been actually educated through both experience and formally on the history of hip-hop. Through an experience. Yeah, and that I also laced a couple tracks when I was in college too, as a rapper named Doctor Death. <laughs> I mean, I knew your nickname was Doctor Death. I didn't know you were rapping with it. Right, and we'll we'll probably talk about this a little bit more. But you, every kid, like you, like you know, a lot of this uh, hip hop comes from like you know the ghetto of New York. And if you were a kid growing up in the ghetto, you had a nickname. And all you would do is, like, you know, you could be, like, Peanut, and you become a rapper. They call you MC Peanut. Mm-hmm. So I figured I might as well be called Dr. Death if everyone's calling me Dr. Death. I was just, like, doing what they do, you know? But to be clear, you did not rap. No, I was a rapper. Me and this kid, Mike Stone, we laced two tracks. And, like, we put together songs on GarageBand and made rap music. All right. I'm going to have to hear more details about this. Story. I've never rapped to you before my rap songs? No. Really? Really? Russ has rapped to me, and he's good. Russ is, Russ is way better at rapping than I am. Oh, speaking of which, that reminds me. I have to do our commercial. We have a sponsored, we have a sponsored commercial for this. Ooh, I don't think I knew that. Yeah, I'm just dropping it on you now here, Liz. Um, let's see what we got here. Um, tonight's episode is brought to you by Lupe Fiasco's Mixtapes. When it's 2.30 a.m., there's no better collection of music to be lectured on than Lupe Fiasco's Mixtapes. Speaking of Russ. <laughs> right. And, you know, why would you want to have conversation and listen to music when you could shut everybody up at 2.30 and force them to listen to extremely social conscious rap lyrics at 2.30 a.m.? Mm-hmm. One of Russ's favorite pastimes. Mm-hmm. Either that or classical music. Yes. It's he really likes to only one of the two. That's right. Yeah. All right, Lisa, let's get to it. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to discuss how hip-hop started just like from like the technical standpoint. I'm not even going to mention names yet. Okay? This is just what happened. 
All right. So it's the 1960s and the 1970s. Okay. Sorry. Question. All right. Yeah. Keep it. Let's 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 make this conversational. Like, ask me so many questions. Is there a difference between rap music and hip hop? Great question. Yes. I think what we're what we're like what the general thing is like hip hop is more of an overall culture. I'm about to talk about that a little bit later as well. Hip hop is a thing, it's a bigger umbrella. Mm. Technically rapping is just the vocal part of hip hop. Mm. It's when you're rapping. Right? And you'll see it if you see genres labeled, there's gonna be a little bit there's not really a difference between if they like a record store wants to call it rap or hip hop. It's gonna you're gonna see the same artist and stuff. Um, but I like using the word hip-hop because it's more all-encompassing. Cool. Okay? So, 50s, 60s, early 70s. You have a bunch of people over at your house. You want to entertain them. So what do you do? Oh, jeez. I don't know. Pop out the brandy? Uh, yeah. Alcohol, sure. Mm-hmm. But you also need people listening to music, right? Mm-hmm. So you take out the record player, you put a record on the record player, and you play some James Brown for your friends. Yes. Right? Music is central to the party environment, okay? Now, problem with records and record players, right, is it's like the party had to stop as you were changing out records, mm. right? Because it's, a, it's like, you know, pick up the needle, remove the record, take out the other record, put it down, put a new one on. <laughs> That's awkward. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know how, like, sometimes you're, like, those scenes where you're, like, screaming and then all of a sudden, like, music cuts out? Like, yes. that was just, like, a regular occurrence. Oh, I'm sure it happened all the time. Just That's like, funny. I was just trying to say that I think you're really cute. <laughs> yeah. But then, like, you know, it comes off the needle. It's now everybody hurt. I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> That's a good observation, That's right? Great game. You can really fuck with people, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, for sure, right? <laughs> and then, okay, so something is invented called a turntable, right? And a turntable, two records on it. Yeah, so you could put on one record, all right? You play that record, all right? And as that's playing, you're setting up the next record. So as soon as that one record is done, immediate transition into the other one. Mm. All right? Now, turntables were also, like, kind of cool because it allowed you to do other things. Like, it wasn't just playing records that you could do. Scratches. There you go. All right. So they're scratching. All right. Which is like a a small part of something called cutting where you're sort of messing with where you cut in on the track. All right. It's called scratching because it's when you would move the record while the needle was still on. So you were literally like scratching the record. Mm. Like DJs would have to buy new records all the time. I always wondered about that for the health of the, the. Yeah. 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 It was like offensive to music people when people first started scratching records because it was like something you tried to not do at all costs was scratch the record. But then hip hop comes around people start scratching it on purpose yeah great for like musical contributions not good honestly the biggest offense is just the you know the extra plastic the disrespect to the property and the environment yeah (laughs) sure Uh, yeah, so that, that is a big part of hip-hop, is scratching. Um, another big part that it would allow you to do is something called stabbing. And stabbing in comes in a little bit later. It was like literally a single note that you would throw on top of a beat just like for one hot second. And like a lot of the time you use like a horn or something and be like, right? Just, I literally thought I'd just turn this shit off. All right. So stabbing is another big part of it. Um, a big part of turntables that was huge was something called fading. And fading is when you had this bar and you'd be playing one album and you could f- switch the, f- the, the fade over and you could play another album. But if you set the fader in the middle, you're playing both albums at the same time. Mm. So that's when we see like songs being mixed up. Right. You're going to see songs being mixed. Okay. And it's, this is kind of where like the music, the beats are going to come from. All right, so it's something called sampling in rap music. You'll hear uh, like like funk songs, soul songs, a lot of James Brown, a lot of George Clinton, all that stuff in rap songs. Yeah. All right, that is come. That's because they're playing them, and then they're kind of doing their own things with them. They're changing the tempo of the song. You speed up the beats, slow down the beats, mix the beats together. Yeah. Okay. This is DJing, right? This is what we call DJing now. Yeah. Okay, and they called it back then. You were a disc jockey. This is what you were doing. Yeah. Okay. Now, eventually what happens is, is that DJs start talking while they're, you know, scratching, changing CDs, stuff like that. All right. And they realize that people are getting into it. 
right? All these like classic New York DJs, they realize if they talk in like certain slick way and everything's all good and everything's cool and like being smooth, then people would like like the talking over it. Okay. The problem with this, Lisa, is that it was really difficult to be mixing and fading and switching out records and stuff like that while also sort of rapping and rhyming. So you see the birth of the next most important thing in hip-hop is what? The birth of what? The recording studio? No, 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 no. Like, we're still talking about when you're at the party, right? So you have a DJ mixing things, and then a oh, voice the needs to come like, on. So, oh, the MC. The MC, yeah, right? Yeah, Good, yeah. okay? So now you have the dim G... This. <laughs> Let's see, I'm getting too excited. So now you have the DJ who's like the VIP of the party, okay? Mixing up the music, and then the next important dude there is the MC, Okay, and the MC, okay, the master of ceremonies, like this dude would like, his main job was to keep people entertained and to get people on the dance floor, but also, hilariously, to distract people from the DJ having to mix up the albums and doing all that shit that's not important. Or not, mm. it's important, it's not entertaining. Yeah, so now there's not full silence when there's a switchover. Yeah, and it was way easier to have one guy doing one thing and one guy doing another thing. Yes, how okay? tends to work. So I have this little tool that I'm going to pull up, and I'm just going to give you an example of how this shit used to work, right? Okay. Now. So this is a song called Apache. It's by, from Bongo Rock, right? Everybody, every MC, every DJ would always mix up this particular song. Okay? Now here's what scratching is would sound like. Right? It's a familiar sound for anyone who's listening to rap, right? And then, when you wanted to fade it over here, it's just a nice, simple drum beat. Okay? You've got the drum beat. You've got the Apache. The drum beat's recorded on the Yes, they're both on records. They're both records. And then you fade it together, and you got, like, this whole new song. Mm-hmm. Right? And then you can also change the tempo, as I mentioned. So if things are getting really intense and fun at the party, speed it up. Get people dancing more intensely. Right? Or if you want people to just chill down a little bit. Alright? Oh yeah, dude. Yeah, for sure, right? And then what the MCs did, right? Original MCing was like very, very basic. There wasn't technique to it. It was literally just rhyming and a lot of the times it wasn't even people like trying to do it to the beat. So they'd be like, up there, this is playing. And like an MC will grab the mic and say something like, you know, I'm MC Death and I'm here to rock a mic till my last breath. World in peace had a lot of depth. I, I don't think they talked about Russian literature a lot, but you see my point, right? It's just like they're up there and they're doing a couple different things. Most of what they're doing is something called bragging and boasting, right? Where they're up there, and you know this, it's still in rap today. They talk about how good they are, they are at rapping. They talk all, you know, how ladies love them, all that shit. It was like party stuff, right? It's remained quite consistent through the years. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, 100%. And another thing they used to do all the time hmm. is call and response shit. Like what we did, you know, I say, you know, like when I say pot, you say cast, pot. Yes. Pie. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Huge dork. Oh, well, it's a dorky thing. I mean, we're podcasting, for God's <laughs> sakes. It's a dorky thing to be doing. Uh, <laughs> but that, that was a lot of, that's what it was. That, that was the birth of hip-hop, all right? And I'm going to start using names now, okay? The first person that is credited with being like, you know, there's so many people who are the fathers of hip-hop, the godfather of hip-hop, the inventor of hip-hop. The name we absolutely have to drop right now is a guy named DJ Cool Herc, who is a Jamaican dude who moved to the Boogie Down Bronx um, in like the 60s. Mm. And hip hop music back then, it was all performative. There weren't hip hop records. Yeah. Okay? So this DJ, DJ Cool Herc, he would host parties as a DJ. And what he realized is that every song, like especially in like funk songs, mm. they would extend like sort of the beginning or the end. And the whole point was to sort of allow people to dance and just play the beat, right? Mm. So what he found out is like the party was always going way more nuts when you were doing that shit, just playing what's called the breaks, Mm. okay? So you're just instrumental, letting it run, 
Okay, and you'd play that part over and over and over again. So he'd use the turntables, he'd set up two records, and he'd play the break on one album, and he'd set up another album, same album, but on the different side of the turntable, right? So he would play like the 30 second break, and then as soon as it was over, he'd play the other 30 second break on the other turntable, and then on the, again on the other one, and then again on the other one, he called it the merry-go-round, right? <laughs> and it would just lead to everybody like classic songs just dancing with an instrumental at like a club or like more likely to be like outside and like one of the you know the courtyards of one of those big buildings in the Bronx mm. right. that's why I give people what they want some of the time when you can give it to them all the time exactly but and to be clear this is just, there is no rapping going on at this moment so he did very much realize that People got more into it when there was a vocal element to it that wasn't just playing the same old song that they've heard, right? No offense to like George Clinton, all right? But like people have heard Atomic Dog a hundred thousand times, okay? He could just play the breaks, all right? And then he can have his boy like come over and hype up the crowd, get him on the dance floor, all that good shit. Okay. Okay? So DJ Cool Herc, dude from the Bronx. Just like your dad, maybe they were buddies, I don't know. Um, you know, he's basically the dude who invented this concept of hip hop. Mm. Okay? Now, a couple other names, like really old school shit that we just have to talk about. In hip hop, one of them is a guy named, you look like you have a question. Well, yeah, just so, I mean, hip hop, hip hop can include rap. Rap is hip hop. Yes, sure. Yeah, that that makes that, that I'll allow it. Okay. Right. What I'm about to talk about next too is like really going to explain more of the hip hop scene too. All right. So there's this other dude from the Bronx. His name is Africa Bombada. Have you ever heard of Africa Bombada? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Africa Bombada is like a legend from like the 1970s and 80s. Okay. okay? What he's going to do is he's responsible for sort of like making it bigger all around New York. All right, so DJ Cool Herc, he was great at doing his parties and everything, but Bombada turned it into this movement, right? It wasn't just a style of music or a style of party you went to. Like, Bombada, like, puts together, like, this massive group of individuals. He calls them the Zulu Nation, okay? He's obviously very sort of Afrocentric. Um, And basically, his group, the Zulu Nations, you had one of five roles, and these are the five roles that sort of make up hip-hop. You got the DJs and the MCs we talked about, mm. okay? Then you had someone called the, the breakdancers or the B-boys. We all know what breakdancing looks like, right? Mm-hmm. You know why they're called breakdancing? Oh, because it's during the breaks. Because they're dancing during the breaks, yeah. right? Um, the other ones, the lesser-known ones, you have uh, beatboxers, you know, the... Right, because when you don't have the turntables and you still want to like you know spit some rhymes at people, you got them. And then the most like the least known people were the graffiti artists were part of these groups because there's like that was the hip hop art form mm. is like tagging shit, tagging like because you would like set up you know got brick walls around you where you're setting up to have a party and you want to like decorate it like as a party and get some graffiti artist over there and just cover the walls and shit. Mm. So those were the five people in Africa Bombada used this to spread like this hip hop culture, this whole scene all over New York City. Hmm. Okay. So it was really immigrants that. Well, Africa Bombada was not. I, I don't know where he was from necessarily, but like. Um, oh, so he just repped his African descent. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but the other guy was from. Jersey. Yeah, he was Jamaican. Yeah, his like I'm not gonna. I can't get too into it because we're literally in 1973 right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, but like DJ Cool Herc, yeah, he showed up from from Jamaica, and he basically called himself a country bumpkin compared to New York, like New York City. Mm-hmm. Like he was from some little town in the, some suburb of a city in Jamaica. Yeah, yeah. Um, different back. Right, exactly. Um, and he like turned out to literally be one of the coolest human beings of all time. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> now, this is basically how hip hop was for the first 1973 to like 1979. It was just in New York City. Mm. It was sort of like this underground culture thing for, like, young African-American people, essentially. Okay, so it's very much a black thing. Oh, 100%. Okay. Right. Even the the, most of the music they're sampling was from 
African-American artists. It's funk and soul mostly. Yeah. Right? Um, and then there's a lot... There's, they do sample a lot of rock and roll as well, but a lot of these hip-hoppers, old-time hip-hoppers, will even tell you that rock and roll is also black music. That totally. white people just happen to be really good at rock and roll music. Where we not, might not be so good at rap music, mm-hmm. but we are good, <laughs> we are good at black, we're rock and roll. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, we, you know, we're going to talk about some white rappers a little yeah, bit too, right? Um... But 1979 is really going to change. It's summer 1979. I'm going to play another song for you, Lise. Do you happen to know what song changes hip-hop in terms of how it's seen all over the country? 79. Just going to let this play a little bit. You got dance, Lise. <laughs> you got the party. All right, I'm gonna skip ahead a little bit so we can hear the the I'll MC. Oh, there it is. Okay. Now what you hear is not a test. I'm rapping to the beat. And me, the groove, and my friends are gonna try to move your feet. You see, I am Wonder Mike, and I like to say hello. I'm to the black, to the white, the red, and the brown, the purple, and yellow. But first, I gotta bang, bang. Do you know the name of that song, Lisa? Um, I don't. I, I'm not good at it. I recognize the sound of stuff. I don't catalog names nearly as much as I should. Okay, that's called Rapper's Delight. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Rapper's Delight by the Sugar Hill Gang is the first widely successful rap record ever, or hip-hop record, whatever you want to call it. It's not the first. Russell Simmons will be very clear to point that out. He produced a Curtis Blow album called Christmas Rappin' before this, okay? But this was the major one, all right? This is the shit that got, like, white people in the suburbs buying the shit, okay? And it was actually by an African-American female record company. It's like she owned it. It It's called Sugar Hill Records. And she made this group called the Sugar Hill Gang put out this song. Okay. This is what did it. This song put it on the map. Mm. I mean, it's a universally catchy song, right? I mean, it's hard to hear that and not sort of groove, you know? Mm -hmm. Here's the thing about this song, though. Super controversial. Mm. The Sugar... Called Asians Yellow? No, no, no. It wasn't controversial... In that way. Um, it was controversial in the sense that these dudes were basically a bunch of fake-ass busters that were put together by a record company. Because what this chick did, she was a I wish I remembered her name. I should have remembered her name. But she was a singer, right? Mm-hmm. And she was struggling, okay? Um, but she started producing music, and she realized that there was this performance art up in New York that was awesome, mm-hmm. right? And she was like, no one's made money off of this yet, and this can make money, mm-hmm. But she couldn't get any of, like, the major players in the game, people like Curtis Blow and, like, uh, DJ Cool Herc and, like, people that were actually famous New York hip-hop people to come do this. So she basically put a bunch of three dudes together that nobody had heard of and, like, sort of combines a bunch of shit that people were already doing at parties and shit and then puts them on a record. So all these people like Russell Simmons and like the dudes who eventually make up Run DMC like hear this and are like kind of pissed off. They're like, what the hell is this shit? Like they're just taking the shit that we're doing out here like in, in the hood and like hanging out and partying too and then just like selling it and that, that pisses me off. You're doing better job marketing. Got a black lady on your team. <laughs> right, right. Um, but another thing that was happening is that this is sampled music, right? We call it, it's called sampling. They didn't make their own music. They didn't have an 808 yet. Mm. So you were literally using records. Yeah. Right? So of course they got sued. Mm. The, the song samples like three different people and all three of the different artists were suing them. You had a different DJ, I can't remember his name at the moment either, sue them being like, this is literally a ripoff of something I've been doing at parties for the last five years. Mm. And it, like, So they get sued by everyone. All the real hip hoppers were like furious with them. Mm. And then like, listen like how unashamed, like this is a song called Good Times by Sheik. They just literally have the same background. Like, of course you're going to get sued. Yeah. Right? 
It's a hell of a song, right? interest in the genre, everyone can win. Yes, exactly. And that's what Russell Simmons will tell you. All right, do you know who Russell Simmons is? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We married to Kamarly at some time. Yeah, that's, that's, how, I, that's how I know who Russell Simmons is. <laughs> no. Also, like a rapist, I'm pretty sure. Is he? Yeah. Oh, that's sad. Okay, well, let's just focus on his music for now. Okay. Right, because he, he really did, like, allow, like... These kids and from New York who came from like little background to like actually make a lot of money and he started Def Jam Records and shit like that. Mm-hmm. Def Jam was more just a record company that would look out for their people, they'd make sure they weren't getting ripped off and they're educating people on how to spend their money and like bank accounts and stuff like that. Um, but he would basically tell you is that when he first heard Rapper's Delight, he hated it. So he's like, these people are doing what I want to be doing. They just like, mm-hmm. they're just a bunch of posers. Yeah. But it made hip hop so marketable. It made like this huge demand for it, and he was like primed and ready to go. Like he hey, he was Run DMC. He had LL Cool J waiting by. Like and he just started. He makes like a, Russell Simmons worth a shitload of money. Now. God, LL Cool J's old man. Dude, he's old. He's like one of the first. <laughs> like he's like the one of the first like glamour rappers. You know what I'm saying? It's like. Yeah, also stars in one of my favorite guilty pleasure movies. Which one? Deep Blue Deep Sea. Deep Blue Sea. <laughs> you do love a good ocean flick. I do. Um, yeah, no, I mean, that's the great thing about the American audience. It's insatiable until, like, something, so. Right. So, yeah, I just gotta get going. Right, right. So that's in 1979, so it's kind of put hip-hop just totally on the map. Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, let's, um... Let's move on to 1982, Lisa. Alrighty. Do you want to take a break? I'm good. Okay. You sure? I'm sure as shit. <laughs> yeah, alright. That works. That works. <laughs> Something's going to th- like blow the doors off of rap music. Mm. New song, new, totally new style of song. Okay? Mm. We're going to take a little break to listen to music. For just, we're just going to let it ride for a while. I want you to try to see, pay. If, like I know you, it's you like can't hear lyrics to songs. Try to listen to these lyrics. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'm gonna skip ahead a lot. This is a long intro. Catch the general gist of that song there, Lisa, lyrically? Oh shit. I forgot to listen to the lyrics. I knew this was gonna happen, so I I typed some lyrics that I I made note of the lyrics (laughs) I wanted. I already forget that. (laughs) (laughs) It looks like you were like you looked like you were in the zone, but I guess you were just thinking you're like, yeah. Yeah. But I guess you were just thinking about other shit. I was thinking about the beat. I yeah. Yeah, as Steve says, yeah. I unfortunately I have weird hearing problems. Anytime there's like more than one sound going on, I have a hard time deciphering. Can't decipher different sounds. Yeah. But so like, don't even try to talk to her if you're at a loud bar. Oh, yeah. No, that's just, it's game over. Just She's fine. literally, if you think you've had a good conversation with Lisa after you were at a crowded <laughs> bar, it's just because she was laughing at everything you were saying. She couldn't hear a word you were saying. I'm great pretending to hear people, though. It's yeah, like, well, you've mastered, you've mastered it. You've mastered it. You're like, oh, so what do you think? I'm like, oh, I have no fucking idea what they said. To <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. people love to be laughed at and smiled at. Yeah. Right. I mean, I'm the same way. Like, I like people literally if they just laugh at what I say. <laughs> yeah. That's all you're you have to do to impress me. You're not alone. Yeah. Um, yeah, but... Um, 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah. Sorry, say yeah. some okay. lyrics to you, and this is gonna really remind you of like a lot of the shit that we talk about with Baltimore all the time. The situation in Baltimore, okay? Mm. Um, all right. So, a child is born with no state of mind, blind to the ways of mankind. You'll grow in the ghetto, live in second rate, and your eyes will sing a song called Deep Hate. Mm. The places you play and where you stay looks like one great alleyway. You'll admire the number takers, thugs, pimps, pushers, and the big money makers. Driving big cars, spending 20s and 10s, and you'll grow up to be just like them. Huh, huh. Smugglers, scamblers—sorry, smugglers, scammers, burglars, gamblers, pickpockets, peddlers, even panhandlers. You say I'm cool, huh? I'm no fool, and then you end up dropping out of high school. Now you're unemployed, all non-void, walking around like your pretty boy Floyd, turned stick-up kid. But look what you done did. Got sent up for an eight-year bid. Mm. What are they talking about, Lisa? I mean, they're talking about, that's so sad. It's like the exact same story now. But yeah, what it's yes. like to grow up in the hood in inner cities. Exactly. Yeah. Right? And we call this now socially conscious rap. Mm. So for about 10 years or so, rap is nothing but party boasts and call and response and very little technique. And this song, it's called The Message, all right? It's by Grandmaster Flash, who's actually the DJ. Because the DJ was still like the best, most important part of a hip hop group at this point, right? Yeah. It's called Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. Mm. Um, and this is going to really just change the way hip hop is moving forward. Mm. So you don't lose that bragging and boasting party shit. Yeah. But now you have this whole new level of hip hop coming. Right, so for the 80s, it's like you're basically like these dudes who are like these flashy, cool kids and like some names that some of y'all might recognize, like Big Daddy Kane, Curtis Blow, to a certain extent, Run DMC, L.O. Ghoul J, I think, is one of these sort of rappers, where it's just like being like kind of cool and like there's still a lot of party shit going on. It's like you're flashing money and wealth and shit like that. But there's also, throughout the 80s, like this movement of making socially comp conscious rap like what was happening like they were rapping about what was happening in their lives and again most I should probably clear that up too a lot of them were from rough neighborhoods yeah Bronx Brooklyn not all of them though Hmm. a lot of these early dudes like they kind of like I'm going to give an example of De La Soul I don't know if you're familiar with De La Soul you know that song it's just be myself and I Crushed it. They very much consider their, themselves suburban kids, right? They were from yeah. Long Island back mm-hmm. in the day. Long Island was basically a suburb of New York City. Right? Yeah. So they wouldn't. They don't say like, "Oh, I'm ghetto" or whatever. Like, so I just want to like. This isn't just like, you know, people. These people had all sorts of different backgrounds. All these rappers. Like, it wasn't just one specific type of person, right? Mm. But a lot of them at one point or the other saw what was happening in places like the Bronx and Brooklyn with their fellow black Americans, and they started rapping about it, all right? And, like, so just to throw some names at you of some people that are, like, these really good, like, socially focused rap groups from the 80s. You had a guy named Slick Rick who was, like, the master of storytelling. Um, you had Eric B. and Rakim, who like really inspired a lot of the 90s rappers like Nas and Wu-Tang. Um, then you have De La Soul, as I mentioned, who were called the hippies of hip-hop. They hated that name, but like, they kind of did it to themselves. They were like, commonly like, rapping about like peace, and they put like flowers on their album cover all the time and yeah. shit like that. I mean, it made That'll sense. do it, yeah. Right? Um, you're going to see, oh, Tribe Called Quest, of course, were like, you know, mm. Q-Tip and the boys, like they were pretty damn into like talking about what was going on and everything like that yeah um that's cool yeah and of course i'm going to throw a name out there that we'll get back to later nwa out west is going to be one of the first people to do stuff like this and then ice t who was like probably even preceded nwa in terms of socially conscious rap with a twist okay we put a pin in that we're going to come back to it yes all right. Another thing I wanted to talk about about what made hip hop explode in the '80s is not actually a person, but a machine, an invention from Japan. A machine from Japan is actually what is going to change rap in the '80s. A machine from Japan. I bet you've heard of it before. Toshiba. You it or not. <laughs> I don't know. Do you know the names of any Kanye West albums? 
particularly one that says blank and heartbreaks. I think that's like the one Kanye thing that's not ringing a bell. 808s and heartbreaks. Yeah, that does not ring a bell, to be honest with you. Uh, it was not considered one of his better records, but mm. Kanye records are dope records, period. You mentioned 808s earlier in this pod, I think. Yeah, yeah. well, I did, like, casually, because 808s, the reason that they change is that, like, now you can start making your own music. Mm. You don't have to start sampling music. It's, it was called, so it was this invention, it was called the Roland TR-808, it was from Japan, okay? And it was basically a drum machine, you start making your own beats, <laughs> okay? So you didn't have to steal from George Clinton and the, the, the Ohio players anymore, okay? Mm-hmm. Now you could start putting together your own original songs. Um, they, they hit the U.S. market in 1980, okay? And they were super expensive. They were, for the 80, for like 1980, I think it was like 1,500 bucks yeah. in 1980. And you're talking about dudes in the Bronx. Right. right. They're not buying that shit. Right. Um, so what's going to end up happening is they kind of fall out of favor in America. People generally don't like them. They think they sound too robotic, like it's too like techno-y sounding. Mm. So... The demand on them plummets. Hmm. So they start showing up in like pawn shops <laughs> for like 100, 200 bucks. Now all of a sudden, all these dudes from Harlem and Queens can go buy 808s and like literally start making their own music without having to sample and use their parents' records and all this shit. They're making original music because this machine is only 100 to 200 bucks, which is still a big spend for like, you know, these, kids, these are kids essentially making this music, yeah. right? Like some 19-year-old kid from Harlem who saves up enough money, goes by himself in 808, he can become like a popular-ass DJ and a, an MC that like gets his name out there. So it, it, like it leads to a lot more rap music coming out, a mm. lot more hip-hop songs being out there. Mm. Interesting enough, it is... Um, Oh my god, I can't believe I'm blanking on this. This is not a hip-hop song that makes the 808 machine like cool again. It was, uh... Shit. Oh, what's... The dude who has the, um... The daughter on the show with Paris Hilton? Oh, Richie. Lionel Richie, like, kind of makes the 808 machine like cool again. (laughs) Which is, like, hilarious to me. It's just like, he's not a rapper, but it's just Mm -hmm. like, like, you know, you can make this shit work, right? (laughs) All right, so that's pretty much rap from 1973 to what I'll call like 1989. Okay. All right, that's where it comes from. Those are most of the big names that I dropped on you, right? Mm -hmm. Now, I'm just going to start dropping a bunch of names. I'm going to talk a little bit about each one of them and how they sort of like impacted hip hop, okay? Mm. So some people argue about whether what we call the golden age of hip hop. Mm-hmm. Some people will call it 1990 to like 1999, right? Just essentially the 90s. Okay? Yeah. Some people are like, no, like there was a really good run in the late 80s. It's 1985 to more like 1995. Hmm. Okay. The existing piece here, Lisa, is that 1990 to 1995 is the overlapping piece. Right. And all of these dudes who were just like these young, poor black men and women from rough neighborhoods or working class neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Like, become household names now. Like, this is, like, this brand new music genre. And I'm just going to go down a list of, of, of active rappers, starting in New York City. Mm. Okay, so as I mentioned, there's De La Soul. Mm. Okay? Um, there's the Wu-Tang Clan, who brings me so much happiness, I don't even know how to describe. <laughs> mm. To talk a little bit about the Wu-Tang Clan, for those of you who don't know, know Lisa, do you have any idea how many members of the Wu Tang Clan there are? Um, I think. I mean, isn't it? I think it's like. Isn't it like eight or? It's yeah, high. Nice. It's nine. Yeah. There's nine members of this rap group. Mm. It's not a duo. It's not a trio. It's not even like an old school doo-wop band. Yeah, it's There's a clan. Nine dudes in Wu Tang Clan. Mm. Right? And, like, you have some of their best songs, like Protect Your Neck off of their first album, 36 Chambers, one of the best rap songs ever written. Mm. Just has literally all nine of them going on there, rapping with their different style and their different flow for, like, 15 to 45 seconds and then just dropping the mic and moving on. Mm. It is, like, this new, revolutionary, super fucking intense sound. It's awesome. Yeah. Right? And of those nine dudes, like, five of them... Mm. 
like are considered some of the best rappers of all time, and they're all in this one group. They grew up together, essentially. A right? lot of them did, yeah. A lot yeah. of them were like cousins and neighbors and shit. Some of them were from like rival projects and stuff like that. Mm. That they just like put the beef away to like make this like revolutionary music. Mm. Um, it was super raw. It's like what I mean by raw is that there's barely a beat. It's like this really shitty sounding drum background or whatever, and it was mm. all vocal. It was all lyrical, right? Mm. It was all about like how like unique and cool and intense they could sound. Mm. They also, I think I love them so much because they have basically their own lingo where like mm. you literally, like they had to put out a book, like they put out a book, I think in like the, the late nineties or something <laughs> called the Wu-Tang Bible. And <laughs> yeah. it basically explained the lyrics to like their songs because they spoke in such intense lyrics. I'm going to give you an example. It's one of my favorite things. All right. Ghostface Killer has a line in, um, they remade Protect Your Neck on a different album, right? Mm. Where he goes, Wallow's comfortable chocolate frosting, your socks hanging out, yours is talking. Mm. I love it. I love mm. the way it sounds. I say it all the time, right? Mm. You've probably heard me say it. Yes. <laughs> you know what that means? Mm. It means like your shoes are like ratty as shit. You need new shoes. <laughs> like, I love that shit. Like, I, like it's hard for me not to geek out talking yeah. about Wu-Tang. They're so fun. Mm. Um, right. Also, early '90s rapper Nas. Nas is always, so I've always said, is my favorite rapper. He's my number one. I think he's the best rapper out there, just in terms of like intelligence and creativity and like skills and and the speed of which he raps. Like Illmatic, one of the greatest American music albums ever. Hmm. Um, he's like coming out of Queensbridge in the early '90s. Now, Puff Daddy. <laughs> Bit of a punchline now. Yes. But his impact on hip hop music and pop music, massive. Yeah. No matter Can't what you deny it. Of. Yeah. You know where Puff Daddy went to college? Um, no. Howard University in DC. Oh shit. He is the man who made Howard Homecoming such a huge deal. <laughs> That's, That's awesome. That's like Kanye West and Kim Kardashian were. Yeah, they DC. were just here a couple years ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's right. so cool. Um I will also say for Steve's personal life, my brother brought home an album. It's called No Way Out, and it was by Puff Daddy and the Family. Hmm. Changed my life, Liz. <laughs> I was like, this shit is so dope. <laughs> and then you listen to Puff Daddy's album, and he has all these other people featured on it. Hmm. So you listen to Puff Daddy, he's going to introduce you to Biggie, right? And you hear Biggie, if you like Puff Daddy, and then you hear Biggie, you go goddamn buy a Biggie album, right? So you're going to be like, ready to die because, like, you know, maybe you're a little too young to know his first oh, I'll get to the biggest first album later. I gotta call him that, <laughs> you know, right? So then you buy, you go by Ready to Die, and then you hear this other guy, Mace, rapping on, on their shit. So you go by Harlem World by Mace, right? And then now all of a sudden you're just a hip-hop head. Like, you're done. And then all of a sudden you're watching VH1, and then you see these dudes from fucking California doing nothing but a G thing, and then your head explodes and it's game over, right? <laughs> But like this is like Puff Daddy was huge for this. He was accessible, and he discovered guys like Biggie, who again rapping during the Golden Age, nineteen ninety 1990 to nineteen ninety five. Okay, mm-hmm. you're the wonderful though doesn't like. Paul. I'll be missing you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Sorry. So right. Like, that's a great in, in, like interjection, right? Because that is. Right? It's like why he's kind of a punchline. Yeah. It's a ridiculous song. And it's why people like me knew who he and Biggie was at the age that I was. Yeah. (laughs) And it was like literally a song that like he just... That's what always pissed me off because like I don't like giving Biggie shit for using other people's hits to make his hits because that's what rap was. Mm. That song pissed me off because Biggie died. Like his best friend, his main rapper died. Mm. And that's what he did. He just ripped off a song. It's like, dude, like have a fucking emotion and write your own damn song. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fair. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> to move on from that, um, Lauren Hill and the Fugees, mm. big in the nineties. Mm. Um, Salt and Pepper. As long as we're talking about the ladies, right? Yeah. Um, they were fantastic. I'm gonna talk about a little bit about a guy named Busta Rhymes. Mm. Busta Rhymes is not part of P Diddy and the family, but. P. Diddy did love Busta Rhymes, so he featured him a lot. 
one of the fastest rappers out there, mm-hmm. and he was been around. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. For sure. That's like, how yeah, but like, I loved Busta Rhymes. It's a song "Victory." If you don't know the song "Victory," it's with Puff Daddy, Biggie, and Busta Rhymes. And like, when I heard Busta Rhymes on this, oh my god, dude! I went. Out, I bought like three or four. Busta Rhymes. <laughs> this is like when I'm in middle school, by the way. This is when I spent my money on in sixth and seventh grade. Me and Fat Butt, me and my boy Matt, we were obsessed with hip hop. We would walk to the Best Buy and we'd go buy like Bad Boy Records albums. Okay? And I love Busta Rhymes. My, my AIM screen name on AIM was Busta 614. Busta Rhymes. Love this dude. Um, what about Tupac? Have we not gotten there yet? Oh, hold on. You don't... How do you get... Lisa, I don't have a lot of people I'm about to talk about. All right, all right. All right. Tupac's for last. For okay, least. okay. All right. DMX was rapping, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> he was like from Yonkers, so he wasn't like a proper New York City dude, but, mm. you know, he was making some pretty good albums in the, like the, starting in the mid-90s. Mm. And finally, of course, I'm missing a very important 90s New York rapper. Who am I missing, Liz? Just squeezing in there, 95, 96. First album called Reasonable Doubt came out in 96, but he was on some other shit in 95. Shit. His name's Sean Carter. Oh, shit. Jay-Z. (laughs) Jay-Z. Yeah, right. You can't have a golden era without Jay-Z. Yeah, shit. I forgot about Jay. Uh, Jay Jay-Z's great. Reasonable Doubt. Incredible first album for him. I'm not a huge Jay-Z fan for in terms of how popular he is, Mm. but totally recognize how good of a rapper he is. He's kind of a little bit of a poser. I mean, because you were talking a little bit before about how hip-hop, you know, people repped wherever they were from, but he seemed like he... Came off a little harder than he actually was, oh, right? Oh, no, but he was from the hood. He was from a project called Marcy. That was oh, like I thought we had a whole conversation about... No, no, no. He himself, though, is just kind of like this nerd. Okay. He's almost like this savant. Oh, he definitely is. Like, watching those documentaries we have yeah, about him, yeah. like, he, like, yeah. He's, he's he almost looks autistic when he's, like, making music. It's like yeah, he's yeah, yeah. in a different he's plane. look in his eye. Yeah. He's, like, on a different planet. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. So he yeah, just so didn't partake, but he grew right. up around. So okay, okay, okay. Because I was going to say, I knew he was from Queens, but... Um, I don't want to call any of these dudes, like, posers. I think, I think Ice Cube, in an interview I listened to, put it... Perfectly, mm. which is like if you grow up on the block and you're not a gang member, the gang is still part of your life. You can't get oh out. for sure, for like, sure. So I don't think any of these people were necessarily posers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Although I will say, and I don't want to sound like a nerd here, and I know people make this argument all the time, but when you're rapping about sure. violence and yeah, the yeah. terrible things you do to people, and you didn't do those things, and it's like, well. No one really should be doing those things anyway, so... Um, right. Yeah, but it is what it is. Um, you know who is actually, like, a super poster, though, is... Was it... Is it 21 Savage? Who's the... Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he is definitely a <laughs> he, he said he was from, what, from Atlanta? Yeah. From, like, the rough part of Atlanta, and he's British? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. One of my favorite stories. One of the best parts to come of, like, Trump's aggressive uh, immigration agenda. Um, right, right. <laughs> just the hilarity of it. Yeah. <laughs> that was good shit. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, yeah. All right, so those are just, like, some of the names that were, like, active rapping in the, the early to mid-90s, mm. right? And that's just New York, okay? Let's move out to the other major city that was very prevalent in the early 90s. What city was that, Lisa? Um, L.A. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, so the first name I want to throw at you from L.A. is a dude named Ice-T. Huh? You might know Ice-T now as a, the actor who plays a oh, yeah. on one of those shows. Ice-T has lived like a thousand lives. Dude, yeah. <laughs> I want to talk about his life a little bit because it's fucked yeah. up, dude. Wow. He reminds me so much of Tyler, the Creator's life. If you like Tyler, the Creator, go back and listen to some old Ice-T albums. Hmm. All right, so... Ice-T was born in Jersey. Mm. Mom died when he's young. Mm. Dad dies a couple years later. Mm. Orphaned. Only child. <laughs> he had sent out to live with his like aunt in L.A. Okay? Aunt doesn't like him. Mm. And like he's like safe, and he's living in a nice neighborhood, but he's like literally, like, if he starts acting like a kid, his aunt's like, hey, sit down, shut the hell up. You're only here because I have to be taking care of you. I don't want to be taking care of you. Yeah. 
right? And he also is being bussed into like a Beverly Hills school, Yeesh. surrounded by all these like white kids in middle school, and he's from like some working class neighborhood, yeah. orphan from like Newark. Yeah. Right. So he gets to high school, and he's like, I don't want to keep being bussed in the high school. I want to walk across the street and go to school at Crenshaw High School, mm. which is rough. Yeah. Um, and he grew up there and he started rolling with like gangsters, like legitimate gangsters because like, you know, he fucking doesn't have anyone in his life and gangs, like they draw people in by making new family. Right. Right. So he sort of like gets involved with like gangs and he actually becomes a pimp for a little while. You know why he got out of pimping, Lisa? I think this is so funny. Why he got out of it? Yeah. I know. He was like, I didn't like it because it felt like, you know, it was kind of like a mean job. Yeah, like he said he got into pimping because he loved the ladies and wanted to make money. But then he realized that pimps are like assholes. (laughs) But he basically credited a lot for like inventing what is like now like controversial phrase, but was essentially gangster rap. Right? Mm. Gangster rappers. There's no one. There's no one who claims to be a gangster rapper. It seems to me like basically a white thing that. They started claiming about certain rappers and certain style of rap, and eventually mm. all of music, rap music in the '90s it was all gangster rap. Right. But he was talking about gang shit, violence, guns, all that mm. shit. He even put out a song called "Cop Killer." Hmm. He took it off though, because hmm. like his record label label like got in a bunch of trouble and shit like that and his like whole point was missed like his thing that he does right is he takes on these different characters and he tells a story from a different character so sometimes he's a gangster sometimes he's a cop and sometimes he's a sociopath who kills cops Mm. and that's not a good thing to be rapping about I'm not advocating for it but it's totally like misunderstood that is the tough part about like being creative with your arts if you have a wide reach unfortunately people are pretty yeah they don't always see the message yeah and like it's also like what he was doing like we talked shortly like not long ago we we're just talking about how um you know like you can you have socially conscious rap where these rappers are rapping about their day-to-day lives yeah well a part of their day-to-day life was being around gangs right so like of course it is sort of a natural evolution to they, they call it hardcore rap if you're if you were rapping about a gang and cussing and like talking like calling women bitches and shit they call that hard you're calling yourself a hardcore rapper mm. it's like there's hardcore punk there's hardcore rock there's hardcore rap mm. um, and he kind of started like that hardcore rap mm. um, and then he obviously was a big motivation for NWA which was also out of LA mm. I'm not going to talk too much about NWA, Ice Cube, and Dr. Dre because there is a wonderful, wonderful documentary about those dudes called... Um, the Defiant Ones. Yes. So go check it out. These dudes were also putting out albums in the early 90s. This is what we're talking about here. We're talking about early 90s rap. Mm. It's incredible. Okay, so you have NWA. They break up in like 91. But out of them comes Ice Cube, crazy successful. Dr. Dre, obviously crazy successful. And then Easy e had a great rap career before he died a little too early. days, unfortunately. R.I.P. to Easy e A lot too early. <laughs> yes. Now, Dre, again, I'm not going to talk to him about it. Dre is like, he's... He needs some sort of nickname of rap. Godfather of West Coast rap, whatever. He's the one who put it in LA. His albums are fucking incredible. He's unbelievable. Yeah. He's he's brilliant. And I didn't know that until I watched The Defiant Ones, but it oh, yes. it's, like, incredible. Just hearing him speak, I mean, he's so impressive. Again, total music savant. Yeah. Right? Um, 1992 the album, The Chronic, is, again, I'm saying this, to be very clear, it is one of the greatest American albums of all time mm. in 92, which then introduces the world to one of the coolest motherfucker and my personal idol from grades about 8th to 11th, a guy named Calvin Broadus <laughs> that you might know better as Snoop Dogg. Snoop Doggy Dogg. <laughs> uh, again, I alluded to this earlier. I was watching VH1 one time and saw this video for a song called Fucking With Dre Day. <laughs> and it was just Snoop Dogg and Dre, like, in a parking lot, taking turns, or, like, a parking garage, rather, mm. taking turns rapping. And I was like, this is the coolest fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. Mm. Went to the record store, CD seller, picked up the Chronic, 
and I picked up, I didn't even know Snoop Dogg had his own record, 1993 record called Doggy Style. It's to my, de- my, to my favorite album, rap album, by far, to this day, is Doggy Style by mm-hmm. Snoop Doggy Dogg. Mm-hmm. It saddens me that he is kind of like another sort of like, Snoop Dogg now has become a caricature, caricature of himself. Right? Yeah, he has. He's. I mean, he's not... I mean, I wouldn't put him on the level of, like, P. Diddy or anything like that. Like, I, I still think, I mean, yeah, I think a lot of people don't necessarily recognize, like, what he started and where he came from. And also just, like, how rough his background was. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. I mean, he's hard not to respect in some regards. I mean. Right, but I'm just worried that, like, there's this whole generation of people younger than us and to a certain extent older than us who didn't ever get into rap music back in the day that see Snoop Dogg as the guy being on like Sprite commercials being like it's the snail Snoopo double double desert you get some Sprite yeah yeah I'm still high I've been high for 30 years (laughs) yeah yeah. go listen to Doggy Style go on Spotify type in Doggy Style take 75 minutes or whatever it is to listen to that album it's like fucking incredible it's produced by Dr. Dre it's Mm. so good yeah, no, he is. Him and Dre both have this way of like, it's just their voice and their cadence that like is so like mesmerizing. It's pretty impressive. For sure. And it's like, there is something I do want to point out. Because Dr. Dre was not like above sampling. Like, so much of the chronic and doggy style was sampled from funk music. He was just like the best at doing it. Right? Yeah, and he has this like I don't even know what this is called like this sort of whistle in the background of his mm-hmm. music all the time I'm gonna start it over like just this uh, right yeah that just reminds me of LA that's well yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's what this shit is right but like this is taken this is Ohio players shit right and it's just like funk music that he just like knew how to like turn into this incredible new genre of music. Yeah, it's super cool. I'm trying to find the whistle of this song. There it is. Hmm. Yeah, and he just does an incredible job with that sample and like what he did for those two albums and so many albums from LA. Um, (laughs) Last two people I want to talk about um, from the West Coast are Nate Dogg, because Nate Dogg is like the perpetual dude who sings um, in the background of all these rappers' songs and just like takes this a very good song to be an excellent song. Do you know about Nate? Like, I don't think so. I should have pulled something up. I don't want to waste time pulling it up. But Nate Dogg, he's the type of dude that if you heard, he's in so many hit songs. And like, there's even like an older song that comes out where it's like someone says like, you know it ain't a hit without Nate Dogg singing on it. <laughs> um, and then Warren G was from LA, um, another Def Jam guy. Um, you know what Warren G is famous from? Mm-hmm. One of the most famous rap songs ever. Regulators. Mm-hmm. Again, this is one of the ones I recognize when I hear. Oh, you've definitely heard it. Yeah, no, I mean, I've heard it all. (laughs) I gotta just put on a little bit of break. Oh, it's actually called Regulate, not Regulators. Oh, yeah. This is Warren G and Nate Dogg, actually. This is Nate Dogg. So he's singing. Huh. I would not have, I, I would have guessed that was by someone I'd heard it before. Nope. That's Warren G, and then Nate Dogg singing on it, right? Hmm. Um, so those are the two big things. I still haven't mentioned Tupac. That's very intentional. I'm going to come back to Tupac. Okay, Let's take okay. a break. You though. do you. Let's take a break. Will you pause that? All right, all right. 